Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Today, the podcast where we agree Joss Whedon is the worst. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys-Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. Whenever I say with me as always, I always want to like finish off with with me as always is Garth. And (laughs) that's like, I don't know. I don't know why. It's just from my childhood, you know, that was a deep cut, everybody. That's like, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's (laughs) that's a 90s movie that I would say deserves the title of classic. So I think you're all right. do not know that like go and watch wayne's world i think it, for a while it was on hulu i don't know if it's still on hulu but it's available somewhere well, um, now i gotta yeah. look now you brought it up let's I'm see sorry. where's wayne's world playing <laughs> i'm sorry i know that i think wayne's world 2 is on is on hulu i'm not certain about the first wayne's world but the first wayne's world is the best one that's yeah because penelope spheres and like it's yeah it is a classic she's the best yeah it's um, on tubi right now so. oh cool so there you go you can go watch wayne's world on tubi for free uh so yeah so we are not talking about Wayne's world today but we are all gonna we are gonna talk about all sorts of interesting stuff but first of all how are you doing karen how is everything oh i'm doing okay i am broadcasting from my new bedroom in my new house so that's fun i don't know if you can hear it but the freeway is right outside my window so it's a little bit noisy in here but i'm gonna deal deal with that it'll be fine um the point is i have moved and it's done and i'm very happy hurrah yeah (laughs) so now i just get to start unpacking which i actually love as soon as i figure out where i'm gonna unpack things too so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah unpacking can be a lot of fun actually because you get to like arrange your stuff and it can look all nice and pristine for like five Mm. minutes before you mess (laughs) it all up like i was like unpacking books and stuff like that i was like oh yes i get to arrange my bookshelves and then they just go to hell eventually (laughs) yep yep. yeah but it's fun because i've got some plans for how i want to decorate and things and so yeah i'm excited how are you i'm doing all right i am fighting with various bureaucratic institutions as as is the way in uh, 2021 i <laughs> and and it makes everything that much more annoying because like everything is still sort of half shut down at least in this state so most of the government institutions that i have to fight with i can't actually like go in and talk to a real human being it has to either be like via email or it's it has to be like on the phone and then like yeah so mm-hmm. lots of fun figuring yeah. out how to get like registrations and shit like that in new york state fun with a capital f you <laughs> that's that's how that goes i signed up for an la county library card this week i'm so excited i'm in the LA system now so that's fun and it was like i got the digital card because with the physical one you can you can check out up to 50 items at a time i was like that's just a recipe for disaster i'll just stick with three at a time thank you that's all i can be trusted with and it's like i started looking up books that um people have been talking about recently i was like oh my gosh i can get any book ever printed i think (laughs) this is amazing (laughs) orange county was pretty good but not like this so i'm very excited today i'm gonna go pick up a book about the donner party so yeah <laughs> good times. Like for a saturday you know good times all right well uh <laughs> you know what this is an excellent segue to what we're gonna talk about which is you know cannibalism and cannibalizing yourselves and yeah anyways um we're gonna talk about scott rudin because uh you know on this podcast this is one of the things that we do we talk about garbage people and they just keep on coming and so we have to keep on dealing with them and it's funny actually earlier this week um i was talking with a friend and we were talking about um 
Netflix release of Rebecca and she was asking me if I had seen it yet. <laughs> and I was like, well, no. And then the whole army thing happened. And now it's just like, oh, I can't do it. So but we were talking about like how it's getting harder and harder because especially when you, when you get to people like Scott Rudin or Harvey Weinstein, their names are on everything. And yeah. there's still that like cringe moment, uh, you know, whenever you see the Weinstein company, you see Harvey Weinstein as a producer. Um, even though, you know, uh, very often they're not artistically involved in the film, but they're still kind of in the background of all of this. But so uh, a, a, Holly, a Hollywood Reporter article came out earlier this week talking about Scott Rudin. And a lot of it is actually kind of reiterating some of the things that have been rumors about Rudin for quite a while. Um, much like Weinstein, he's kind of had this, uh, this, this typing as, as a bullying Hollywood producer. Um, and this has just kind of proven it more so than anything else. Like there's an actual expose uh, in The Hollywood Reporter talking about all of the various things that Rune has done to, to assistants, to staffers, to just anybody pretty much working under him. Things like throwing things at assistants, throwing baked potatoes at people. Um, just absolutely bullying people to the, some of whom to the point that they've actually left the industry because they didn't, because it was just too much for them. They didn't want to be involved. He killed their love of this industry. Um, it's, it's not a terribly long article, but it does go into a great deal of detail about Rudin's behavior. Um, you know, there have been various accusations about him, about him throwing tantrums. I mean, at one point in the article, it says that Rudin, tan Rudin tantrums have been well-documented going back four decades uh, and are said to have been at least partly inspired uh, the 1994 assistant revenge fantasy film, Swimming with Sharks. Starring Kevin Spacey. So, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. Oh no, See, everything is unfortunate. <laughs> Everything is unfortunate. Um, yeah. yeah, and so not just these bullying, this bullying behavior, I mean, just bullying behavior, but um, very violent behavior and, and also attempting to ruin people's careers when they do leave him, right? So when they have left, when assistants have left, when people have left the company to go on and work in other spaces, uh, Rudin basically bad mouthing them. A lot of this is very similar to some of the stuff that we know about Harvey Weinstein. Um, Rudin has not been accused of sexual assault yet. Uh, I honestly would not be surprised to hear something along those lines, but that's not something that's coming up quite yet. But um, it's a disturbing article. And at the same time, it's disturbing because we're kind of like, this has been known. This is something that was known about this guy. And he's got his hands in so many productions, both in Hollywood and on the legitimate stage. Uh, and he's, he's a ubiquitous producer. So reading this stuff, you're like, this isn't surprising, but also how are we allowing men like this to continue to behave like this for decades? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's just, it's kind of more of the same. So in some ways there's not much more to say about it beyond like, seriously, why? Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because I, you know the harvey weinstein like the sexual assault stuff caught me by surprise i did not expect all of that that came out but him being a terrible person that was you know uh, verbally abusive and things to people that was pretty that was something that was pretty well known same with scott rudin and it was like way before i ever was writing about film and television way before i was ever working in the industry in any capacity I knew about Harvey Weinstein and Scott Rudin being abusive assholes. And like, I heard the story about the computer monitor years ago. And, um, and this know, is the one where he like smashes the monitor on a guy's hand. Uh huh. Yeah. And the guy had to go to yeah. the emergency room. And, and Rudin's first call was to his lawyer because he's just like, well, shit, now I'm going to get sued. And then the story, the way I heard it was then later he was texting the guy like, get back to the office. So it's just like, oh, geez. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Um, so it's like there are certain there are certain people that you hear about, even if you don't work in the industry and he's one of them. And it's like, OK if that if you hear about that stuff outside of it 
then how bad is it really? It's got to be just unthinkable. And just the things that are outlined in this, in this article, really, I mean, they don't scratch the surface of some of the things that, um, that people know about him from, from, from what I've heard and my understanding, um, from what other people have said. And, um, I think it's interesting too, because one of the things that it says at the beginning of it, uh, I think it was at the beginning. I don't know. At some point in this, I read that, um, that some of the people that came forward and spoke to, um, Tatiana Siegel, who wrote this article, they had actually spoken to someone from the New York Times last year, and that story never manifested. So it's like, I'm going to guess Rudin killed that because of the fact that he is so big in the theater scene as well, you know? Yeah, well, and and I mean, you heard, you heard similar stories when all of the, the Weinstein stuff came out, mm-hmm. that there were stories that had been killed, and I, it may have been New York Times or Washington Post or something like that, that until Ronan Farrow got a hold of uh, all of this and kind of ran with it and, and really developed his case, there were all kinds of smaller stories that were basically getting pushed to the side, being like, well, we're not going to go with that. And yeah, you're talking about these very powerful men with a lot of money and a lot of influence in a lot of different places yeah like you're saying so you've got these stage connections you've got film connections you've got big business connections really Mm -hmm. um because that's what these guys are in business and everyone with money yeah and so you know kind of like well we don't want to do this because you know some publisher doesn't want us to do it and you find out the publisher has some connection to to weinstein or to rudin or to one of the companies um but it does it does very much establish you know this kind of thing has been so acceptable so the, this is very similar to um to some of the things that were said about louis b mayer or jack warner back in the day that this was this is not um this was very acceptable in hollywood for a long time and obviously people like rudin and weinstein that like what got weinstein in the end was not bullying was not like being a bastard basically it was actual sexual assaults right. uh and and so you know you, you're kind of like well maybe things have shifted a little bit maybe someone like rudin is not going to be able to get away with this but i mean so far there haven't really been many repercussions about this you know we're not seeing um i mean at, at a certain point you know he's probably going to throw something at the wrong person and they are going to sue his ass yeah uh, well here's sorry to jump in on there but but here's the thing is like part of the reason that the stuff with Weinstein finally broke, broke loose was people like Rose McGowan were trying for years and years to tell the truth about him and were being ignored. were being silenced. were being, you know, all kinds of things were happening, but it's not that they weren't trying to tell the truth. And with Scott Rudin, it's not that nobody's trying to talk about it or whatever. It just, there's more of a sense of, people just gave up and walked away from the industry rather than fighting to bring him to justice. And I think that's the big difference. Yeah, yeah I think that that's true. And it's interesting because a number of the people who are, who uh, THR spoke to in this article um, are now, you know, so you've got one, one woman is with Netflix now. Um, there, so there are people that had these experiences with Rudin that are now in kind of more stable positions or in positions of a little bit of power where they're not terribly worried that they're going to lose their jobs because they're talking about this guy. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and in that sense, they are a little bit safer than someone like Rose McGowan or many of the women that, uh, that Weinstein targeted in that there isn't that level of concern about, I'm not going to be able to work anymore mm-hmm. um, if I talk about this. And, and some of that also does have definitely has to do with the nature of acting and actresses and, and also the nature of um, the way that Weinstein targeted women and, and sexual assault. So you've got a slightly yeah. different situation here, but still. We do. But I also, I, I also want to be clear that we're not victim blaming here. It's not no. <laughs> like, oh, well, these people got what they wanted. So now they're free to speak out. No, it's not like that. It's that they did they did do what they kind of had to do in order to get through in the industry because they were in a situation that like you say this goes back to the mayor and warner and and all those guys this goes back decades and this just this is just kind of assumed how this is just how the industry is and 
and politics is like that too so it's like you just kind of accept it and it's we've all but i think we've all been in situations where we don't realize how bad something really is and or how good something could be until we're out of the situation yeah and and yeah and and in hollywood you've got this this culture that has already developed mm-hmm. and that has been in place for a very long time that really up until fairly recently in comparison people have not um some people push back on it but there hasn't been this kind of this shift happening culturally yeah that is, that is essentially saying like you know what maybe it's not a good thing for producers to, you know, smash their assistants' hands. Maybe it's not okay to throw things at subordinates. You know, maybe yeah. that's this is not an acceptable behavior. Or, you know, to to trade to to you know tell an actress that if if uh, you know if she sleeps with you, you're going to give her a part. I mean that that's been so kind of almost accepted. You see it in Hollywood films all the time, where you've got this producer who's just like, "Well, if you sleep with me, I'll give you the role," mm-hmm. you know. And that so that's been kind of ingrained within the culture. And it's the same thing with these you know violent directors, directors behaving badly, producers behaving badly. These men in power, who are just like you know being treated as geniuses almost, and that means that they can essentially do whatever they want to to whoever they want to. Yeah, I think about the movie The Devil Wears Prada a lot. Uh, the book too, but um, I think the movie is is just more familiar for a lot of people. Um, and you know, when when Anne Hathaway she shows up at her new job, and um, everyone everyone is telling her constantly, a million girls would kill for your job. You know, a million girls would kill to be where you're at right now. And so she's seeing it as like hey if i just put my head down and do this for a year then i can go and write the way i want to like this is going to be good on my resume and so she's putting up with serious abuse um and misuse and mistreatment constantly and because everyone keeps telling her like hey yeah you're lucky to be where you are and so it's like Mm -hmm. it's silly and it's funny and we we uh we just kind of look at it as you know i've 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 heard people talk about that movie as like, well, why would anybody put up with that to work for some stupid magazine? It's like, okay, but if your dream is to write for magazines and you think this is what you need to do to get to your dream, you're going to do it. And it's the same in real life in Hollywood. If your dream is to make movies and or to produce theater and be involved in that world and you think this is just how it is, you're going to put up with it until you get to the point where you cannot put up with it anymore and you snap. Yeah. This is yeah, this no, is exactly. this is the reality and, of the situation, so. And and we've we've accepted that for so very long. Yes. Um and called like just generally so so we we tend to tell these stories where it's just like well that's what you have to go through in order to get what you want you know right exactly um and we have that kind of attitude about a lot of industries not just about hollywood um but you know so so then you're kind of like yeah at what point it's like at what point so am i supposed to just like allow just be abused for for you know however many years or for like a year or even six months and and so that i can get a little bit further along um it also kind of reminds me of the the subject of um uh the the 40 year old version with mm-hmm. um, and now i'm blanking on her name rather blank actually it's yeah rather blank blinking but <laughs> uh but it, it reminds me of that not in the sense that like she's not really being abused per se but she's making all of these concessions yeah right in order to get what she wants when uh, what she thinks she wants which is this play produced in a major theater by a major producer you know all of this stuff and the further along she goes the more she's having to sacrifice for her art for her vision for what she wants and it's dealing with a lot of other different things too it's not just about that but there is that element of like you know how far you know you shouldn't be expected to go that far to sacrifice so much to dilute yourself so much in order to achieve something in order to like make yourself acceptable to the powers that be exactly and the thing is this doesn't stop at weinstein and rudin uh there are other people i'm not going to name names right now because we just yeah and i'm just not but um but there are a lot of other people that 
their time is coming too. And I'm really hoping that we've gotten to a point now where people do feel like they don't have to accept this type of behavior anymore to get forward there to move forward in their careers and to to accomplish what they want to and i think that that we're seeing it's it's very long overdue but i think this is just kind of in general how we are as a society i think this is a little bit of why black lives matter last summer took such a huge um uh, groundswell and just you know brought so many people into that fold and and so many uh, like uh, the the people that are speaking out against you know asian american pacific islander um hate crimes and things like that like i think what we're seeing now is that as a society we're finally getting to a point collectively where we're recognizing that people are being mistreated and abused and we're finally ready to like stand together and not let that happen anymore. And we're seeing that in Hollywood. We're seeing that on Broadway. We're seeing that everywhere. It, it, these things take a lot of time, but it's like, we're finally at the beginning of the end of that. I think. I certainly hope so. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, we've, we've addressed this a little bit uh, in the past, but THR, yet again, came out with another article earlier this week. Um, This one kind of going into deeper detail about what went down with um, Ray Fisher and Justice League and specifically Joss Whedon and the Warner executives. Um, It's a very long article and it is very involved. It's kind of detailing a lot of the things that we've already mentioned about um, the way that Fisher was treated and the way that uh, his concerns about Joss Whedon's behavior on set were brushed to the side, were um, ignored completely, or he was just kind of told, well, play the game. And what's really shocking, I think about, or not shocking, what's very distressing about this article is the degree to which it was obvious that Warner Brothers did not want to protect him in any way. Um, That they kind of gave Joss Whedon more of a pass. And, and, And you look at someone like Ray Fisher, who isn't a huge star. This was one of his first really big starring roles. Uh, And he kind of, you know, came into all of this and he's facing basically verbal abuse and um, bad behavior from a director and he complains about it. And instead of like the system standing up for him in any way, there's sort of like, well, don't complain. You know, it is, it does go back to that, like be grateful for where you are, be grateful for what you're getting. And to his massive credit, he wasn't, he decided like, no, I'm not gonna play that. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to participate in this. And he kept on pushing and he continues to push. And he, he still says that he believes he's owed at least an apology from Warner Brothers. Um, so it's, it's an interesting article and very, like I say, very involved about, and it breaks down really well about everything that happened from about the point that, um, that Zack Snyder left Justice League uh, due, due to his family issues and they brought Whedon on. And it also includes some of the things that, you know, has been said about both the experiences of Jason Momoa and Gal Gadot on that set. Um, and some of the, the shit that was said by Warner executives about Gal Gadot and about, um, uh, Patty Jenkins and, and the way that Whedon talked about them. Uh, but so I think that it's obviously very indicative because people, there were a number of people are saying like, well, you know, if Joss Whedon was behaving like this on the set of Justice League, he must have been behaving like this on like the Avengers, right? Uh, and there, there is a little bit of, you know, not, I, I don't think that, that maybe incredulity, maybe like, well, it wasn't really that bad or why was he behaving like this on this set, but not like this Yeah, he's going to treat Ray Fisher the same way he treats Robert Downey Jones Jr. Well, yeah, Sorry. yeah. Exactly, exactly. Like, uh, duh. Oh my gosh. And, and you're kind of like, well, it's sort of interesting, the people that, you know, have talked about Joss Whedon. Um, so you've got Ray Fisher, who's a black man, who's also not a very high, like, this is not Will Smith or Denzel Washington. This is someone who's an up-and-coming star, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, one of his first really major roles in, in Justice League. Yeah. Uh, so you've got 
so you've got him, you've got, you know, and Gal Gadot has been much more recalcitrant about talking about this, but it's obvious that she had some issues with Whedon. Um, so you've got a black man, you've got an Israeli woman, and then you've got all of these uh, other women from the set of Buffy who have been talking about him. This is years after the fact as well. That's sort of interesting. It's, it might say that maybe he's targeting certain people, that he's targeting people that can, um, that he would assume are not going to push back or that if they do push back are not going to be listened to because that's exactly what happened. I mean, yeah. the Warner executives didn't listen to Ray Fisher. They didn't think that it was, that it was important to make him happy and to make him comfortable and to, you know, actually reprimand Whedon for his behavior. They thought it was important to just kind of get the film done and for him to be quiet. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I recognize my own, you know, culpability as a fan in this too. But because uh, I loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I never could get into Angel, but I loved Buffy. I really liked Firefly a lot. Um, and, and so it's like, yeah, okay, I was a big fan. I was, you know, I was always excited for new Joss Whedon proje projects back in the day. Um, but it's weird to me how someone like him has as much power as he seems to have when you consider that really <laughs> um his biggest things so he did Buffy and he did Angel which each had like you know five or six seasons seven seasons I don't know but Firefly gets canceled in season one um Dollhouse gets canceled in season two after getting canceled in season one it got, came back for one more season um and then he he produced a couple of other things and then it's like um uh, the avengers the first avengers was his first major uh studio movie he did do firefly the movie the serenity but um but the event for him getting avengers in the first place was big deal um because of the fact that really he only had a couple of tv credits to his name and yeah. then it turned out to actually be really successful and really good but then he does the second one and it's terrible most people who love the mcu will agree that age of ultron is in the bottom of the marvel movies it's terrible and so it's like but of course he's a white dude so he doesn't get thrown in director jail or anything like that for that movie instead he gets more stuff and then it's like then he fails out of a, a batgirl movie because he can't figure out a story um and i think it was batgirl and so it's like he's just been kind of bouncing around for a while and he's one of those people that it's like i don't understand at this point in his career why he has enough power that the warner brother executives are gonna bring him in to finish someone else's movie and then tell the stars of that movie to just play nice and get along with him yeah I mean, it, it, is, it is an interesting question. It's interesting, though, because Whedon for a long time has been this major cult figure. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a, a cult that formed around Firefly. There's a cult that formed around uh, Buffy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, I think a lot of what he's done has, has been on the strength of Buffy and, and on that yeah. kind of, he's played himself as being this sort of, I, I think in some ways he's appealed to people because of that cult status, because he's been like, well, this is like the the nerdy dude who just you know they they keep on taking things away from him there's a little bit of me that's kind of like you know what i kind of wonder given i i given like what we know about his behavior now i wonder if he was doing other shit mm -hmm. on some of those shows and then maybe that might be why he, why some of them like were just like okay we're not going to do this anymore yeah um because at a certain point it becomes impossible to work with someone like that like even if you the the whole point is you know we're going to keep him on because he's making us money or because you know he's a name or whatever else at a certain point the producers are gonna be like well this isn't worth it because he's not making us enough money mm -hmm. um or people are threatening to leave because they don't want to work with him anymore so there's a little bit of me that's like i wonder what actually went down <laughs> Well, I mean, um, when Michelle Trachtenberg is sitting there saying that at 15 years old, it was written into her contract that he couldn't be alone in a room with her, like, yeah. what really happened? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Whedon has become one of those, it's interesting looking back on Whedon's career, like you're saying, and being like, 
what was actually going down here? Because there's, there seems to be more than what we know about and that what has been, has been talked about. And I, I have a feeling that there's going to be more stuff coming out yeah. eventually about, about him. Yeah. Um, but just to go back to your point too, though, like the people that were trying to say like, oh, well, why would he just do this on Justice League? you know either it didn't happen or he was doing this to the avengers too it's like no he was he would not be acting like that like i said around robert downey jr or you know chris evans or these guys first of all because they're all white dudes second of all because some of them are more powerful than he will ever be i mean robert downey jr can snap (laughs) can snap his fingers sorry um and make (laughs) things happen (laughs) so uh yeah so it's like jaws didn't have and and even like sure scarlett johansson was there for avengers but i'm willing to bet that she was also well positioned where he couldn't get away with mistreating her either so yeah that's the thing it's like that's an apples and oranges comparison well and downey jr also has a reputation of kind of standing up for his co-stars very much so, so yeah you kind of wonder whether there was also a calculation going on of like if i if he behaves badly then this isn't just, this is going to be something that he's going to kind of turn his back on um that downey jr will actually would actually raise concerns like you say at that point particularly by the time you get to the avengers um he's got a lot of power Mm-hmm. And if he says, you know what, I can't work with this guy anymore, he's mistreating other people, then you have a much bigger problem than if if Ray Fisher says, I can't work with this guy anymore. Right. Oh, and guess what else those guys from the Avengers are not doing? They're not defending Joss Whedon either. So sure, they're not saying he was was abusive on their set, but he's they're also not defending him and saying it can't possibly be true. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. No as far as I know, no one from that film has come out and been like, no, actually he was a great dude. <laughs> like, they're just been like, I'm not going to say anything. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, so the article itself is very interesting and very involved. And I, I encourage people to, to go and read the whole thing. Um, and particularly just like, as, as always, I think that Ray Fisher deserves to be believed. And also he has been very brave about all of this because this could have completely destroyed his career. Um, and, and the fact that he has stuck to his guns and the fact that he was even willing to go as far as he has, um, and, you know, not play the game that they wanted him to, I think really speaks well of him. Mm -hmm. Um, so to move on, you know, I think that today is just going to be like men are stupid and we don't like them. Yep. Pretty Uh, much. (laughs) Speaking of Justice League and white men getting what they want if they whine loud enough, the Ghostbusters trailer. Uh, I just wanted to address this really quickly because I just thought it was so fucking stupid and it made me unhappy. Um, so there was a little <laughs> teaser that came out. About First the- of all, hold on. I'm going to pause you for a second. First okay. of all, who here remembered that there was going to be another Ghostbusters movie? I forgot <laughs> this movie existed until this week. Who did I? So I? I forgot that it existed until like uh, like a week or so ago when someone like happened to reference it on my twitter timeline i was like oh shit that's right that's a thing that's happening god mm-hmm. um yeah so ghostbusters afterlife which you know beg your pardon you were all complaining about oh answer the call is such a stupid like secondary title it's like yeah afterlife is that much better <laughs> right um so ghostbusters afterlife is going to be coming out at some point i don't know when i don't particularly care um but there, a little teaser came out that was basically Paul Rudd in a grocery store buying Baskin Robbins ice cream, um, and and then encountering little mini Stay Puffed, Mr. Stay Puffs. Like I, I that's what happens. It's, yeah, it was a very confusing scene because it's like, okay, so he's walking along in the like junk food aisle and which let's face it that's my favorite aisle of the store but um he hears something he looks it's a stay puffed marshmallow man trying to get out of a bag and then it pops out onto the shelf and he's like oh it's so cute and then he goes to like tickle it and it bites him because i would too hello leave me alone man i just came out of a bag um and then all of a sudden there's a bunch of stay puffed marshmallow men like tiny ones that are 
causing havoc in the grocery store and i'm like okay i don't understand where these all came from and also is he the only one in the store right now what's happening here that's true that's a good that's a good (laughs) question um yeah i mean i'm certain it probably makes better sense in in the context of the film what i find very sort of funny about this is that and this is something i realized when i was watching this teaser i was like the ghostbusters franchise doesn't have much really when you look at like there aren't those really iconic figures in the same way um like slimer and stay puffed marshmallow man are really the only two iconic images i guess of the ghostbusters and the and the the patch obviously Mm -hmm. but it's not that much of a franchise when you really look at it (laughs) and a lot of what is part of the franchise is beg your pardon kids stuff like some of the most popular elements of the ghostbusters franchise are the cartoons which are for children mm-hmm. um and and i find it really weird that there was all obviously when the the um uh ghostbusters uh atc came out in 2016 there were all these people like pitching fits about it not being serious enough or not being scary enough not being this it's like guys this is a kid this is a kid's franchise this is for children really yeah um and that's what it looks like that's what they're getting in ghostbusters afterlife this is a kid's movie uh you know and i don't necessarily mean to use that in pejorative sense but this is not something that like I, I find it funny that there were so many fanboys that were whining about this when it came to uh, the the 2016 film and are now like confused that they're using, you know, cute little gremlin like fig marshmallow men <laughs> um, and are like, you know, are just like, well, but it, it looks like it's for kids. It's like, yeah, no shit, because that's because you're children. That's why you are children. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly that's it's yeah men are just they can't handle when something's not for them they just don't know how to deal with it and then they get mad and they're whiny babies Mm -hmm. (laughs) pretty much pretty much so yeah that's coming out sometime i don't know when i don't care when i don't remember now i don't know i think it's gonna just get dumped on streaming somewhere no they're putting yeah. too much money to it if it's i think it's sony and i think they have some deal where they have to put their movies in theater so well, but we'll i think it was sony that just announced this week that it's like that as soon as their movies finish their like their theatrical run they're required whatever um then they're going to netflix and netflix will have the exclusive first like streaming oh, rights interesting. yeah yeah that just came out this week mm-hmm. yeah it, it'll be i mean this is off topic but it'll be interesting to see how um those kinds of things continue to develop uh post pandemic because everything has kind of shifted because of the pandemic and now we've got you know these stream you know day and date releases all of that kind of paywalls not paywalls the, yeah. whatever disney plus is up to you know all of that stuff and um, and it'll be interesting to see how that continues to play out as theaters reopen and, and people kind of move back towards more normal movie going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that movie's coming out in November, whatever. Uh, go, <laughs> go watch ATC. Uh, but there are other movies that are out now that are great and that you can watch and enjoy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of something that came up more because there was a little bit of a kerfuffle on the internet about this. Um, Kerfuffle, I love that word. A little kerfuffle. Uh, So Elaine May, who, if you do not know who Elaine May is, she was kind of one half of the comedy team of May and Nichols. And she is still alive. She's 87, I think. And she's planning on directing her next film. She hasn't directed a film since like the 80s um the reason behind this i think we will discuss in a minute but so she's a really interesting director comedian because she made just a handful of films some of which were very well received and some of which were not um she struggled pretty consistently with um getting her version of the film up onto the screen uh and one of the films we're going to talk about today she really had to fight for it she actually i think the the story is that she had to hide a print of it under her bed so that the studio couldn't get a hold of it um 
And she is an interesting director, I think, because she's very often cited as, you know, kind of one of these major female directors. But men talk, male critics especially, talk about her as though she's very secondary and that she's not that important. That they talk a lot more about her, her teaming with Nichols than they do with than they do about anything else. Um, and very often talk a lot about the, the failure of her last film, which was Ishtar. And I, I, think, I think I wanted to talk about her a little bit because she has some great movies and many of them are available to watch. Uh, and she is one of those female directors that was very uncompromising in what she wanted to show and, what she, and the kind of film that she wanted to make even when she was being like sat on basically by studio heads and by male producers. So two of the films um, I wanted to talk about today are A New Leaf and Mikey and Nikki, which I think that you've had a chance to, to watch, Karen. Uh, I watched A New Leaf. I started watching Mikey and Nikki and I realized at the time that I started it, I was a little too tired to fully em mm -hmm. embrace it. So I stopped it so I could go back and finish later. But what I did see, I was like, okay, I feel like I have enough to get the gist of this. So it's it's a very meandering film in a lot of ways because there's not it's not clear what is actually going on for a good portion of the film. And then you begin to realize like what these what some of these conversations between these two men mean. Mm. And it, it becomes quite it's quite emotionally devastating, I find. Um all right, so we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, we did have a question from at Paula Fangirls, generally about Elaine May. And she says, so I had to study about Elaine May for my media, culture, and society class. And what is fascinating is that although her films in the production had tension, they were always her vision. So my question is, did you, uh, did you think she ever deserved to be nominated for any of her films? Absolutely. Yep. I, I think that A New Leaf is fantastic. It is hilarious. And even though it's a version, it's more of a studio approved version, um, it's still wonderful. It is still such a funny film. Mm -hmm. The other one I, I think is definitely Mikey and Nikki uh, because it's a very, that's a very different film from A New Leaf, although it still has some of those elements of dark comedy and humor. Um, but it's this wonderful kind of dissection of a male relationship over the course of a single night. And it's intense, it's violent, it's funny, it's, you know, devastating in some ways. You can see this, this love between these two men and also how much they hate each other. <laughs> um, it's, it's a really fascinating film. So in both cases, she definitely deserved nom nominations for both of those films. Oh yeah, uh, what, what were your thoughts about that, Karen? Absolutely. I loved A New Leaf and it made me sad that I didn't discover it until just this week, you know, that I'd been missing the boat on that one for so long because it's, um, it's very funny. It's got some things that are very sweet and, but it never, it doesn't feel saccharine. It doesn't feel like too much manufactured emotion. I think that's what's so great about it. It's got those kind of elements of slapstick Mm -hmm. on the one hand and then on the other hand there's actually like emotional resonance to yeah. it because it's this very so the setup is is quite it's it's very screwball comedy right um mm -hmm. so it's it's about a playboy who has basically run <laughs> through all of his, his fortune money. yeah <laughs> yeah blown all of his money and he's essentially told you're you're broke you're bankrupt you haven't you don't have any money there's a wonderful early scene where <laughs> he talks to the lawyer and the lawyer is like explaining to him you no, you don't have any like you have no money and he's like well but can you give me a check no you have no money like, <laughs> like there is no none money. there is none let me let me see if i can put this in a different way no there's no different way to put this you have no money <laughs> yep. um and so he decides that uh but because he has no money and he of course has to continue to live in these styles which he has become accustomed he needs to get married he needs to marry a rich woman, but then he's not necessarily planning on staying married. <laughs> yes, he needs to marry a rich woman, and he and his plot is that he will marry this wealthy woman and uh, and may and basically get control of her fortune and then murder her. Yeah, um, and so that's that's the but it's idea. a comedy. And in order to facilitate this, he 
borrows, I think, like $50,000 from his uncle, his uncle yeah. who is who's also wealthy and is basically like, oh, no, I'm not giving you money. Uh, so he so he borrows this $50,000 so that he can sort of court these, these wealthy women. And there's a lot of very funny sequences in which he's trying to like relate to these women, but he's also a total curmudgeon and hates everything. He can't even <laughs> pretend to like be charming to some of these women. And it's then like if meets... Felix Unger is trying to get married. Yeah, exactly. And he's played by Walter Matthau. So, yep. you know. uh, and, and then he meets Henrietta, who is played by Elaine May, who's just out to lunch for the most part. Um, but she is very, very wealthy, apparently, seems to be. And, uh, and he decides that, okay, this is, this is the right woman. This is the woman that I am going to, that I'm going to marry, that I'm going to murder. Because she's uh, dumb enough to fall for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and then things kind of go from there. But some of the best sequences are obviously just the interplay <laughs> between the two of them and the way that he's like trying to overcome his absolute like repugnance for everything <laughs> that she's saying. Um, but well, it, and I also love parts where like I mean it's just so it's so funny because there's yeah. scenes where he's got this elaborate plot of how he's gonna kill her and make it look like an accident meanwhile she's right behind him doing something insanely dangerous that all he has to do is like bump into her and she's gonna die and he totally misses it and it's so funny exactly she she's this total klutz and you're like dude it would be so easy to kill this woman like and make it look like an accident like like you almost don't have to do anything yep <laughs> um but that's what's so funny about it and then and and the the reason for the title is the way in in not just in which like he begins to go through this process of you know trying to trying to murder her but he begins to like actually change mm -hmm. and I think that that's what makes this film so much deeper and funnier in a lot of ways than um than you know similar films with similar plots because this this has been done before this is similar to like kind hearts and coronets um where you've got someone who is is down on their luck and decides that like okay so I'm going to I'm you know I'm going to kill off my entire wealthy family so that I get the money um, and, and this is similar in that sense, but you begin, like, their relationship develops, the ways in which he actually, like, becomes very protective of her, and, and initially it is this desire to, you know, um, it's this desire to protect her fortune because that's what he wants, but then it begins to transform a little bit more, and it's, it's actually quite sweet and funny and compassionate and um, a very different film even than I was expecting, certainly. Well, at yeah. the same time, you know, having all these much broader elements of comedy and physical comedy. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. I also came to this film fairly late in that I, I don't think I'd seen it until a couple of weeks ago um, when it came up on the Criterion channel, and I was like, oh, this is an Elaine May film I've never seen. This would be fun. Yeah, it was it was really great, and I'm so glad that I watched it. I'm glad that you encouraged me to watch it because I definitely had been missing out on it. And um, yeah, it's it's one of those two. We talk about this a lot, but it's like you know, if a different director, if a man had directed this, it would have been obviously a much different type of movie. But this is where it's like women just see something in people different than than men tend to do. And that's what you get with Elaine May um, yeah. directing this because it's, yeah, it's funny, but it's also got this emotional heft to it where uh, the changes that he goes through and, and the experiences that he has along the way, they feel earned. It doesn't just feel like oh he yeah. has this miraculous awakening or whatever it feels like you can actually see a progression in him as time goes on and it's it's really cool i like the way that she did that yeah like, like i say it's it's funny because i think that actually at one point she was told that like her films are very compassionate and she was kind of insulted by that um <laughs> I think I read that quote from her, but but it is I, I find both A New Leaf and Mikey and Nikki are actually very compassionate films. They're they're films that deal with and they're films that deal with masculinity. And in the case of A New Leaf, you're you're dealing with um, the relationship between men and women. Obviously, in Mikey and Nikki, it's more about the relationship between these two men. But there, yeah, they there's some there's a sympathy there. There's an understanding. Like you in A New Leaf, you're sympathizing with Henry to a certain degree because she is fucking annoying. Um, but also you you like her you love her it's like the, she's sweet she's 
dumb as a post. She's like incredibly, um, she's incredibly klutzy, but also she's very endearing. And he becomes endearing kind of through her. Their relationship helps him to kind of heal some of his own problems. Um, and she's completely oblivious to most of this. Yeah. And that's the thing. This isn't about her fixing him in so, at some level, but about him fixing himself or beginning to fix himself through his compassion for her, um, which I, I really like. And it also introduced me to the concept of a Malaga cooler, which <laughs> is the most horrifying thing I have ever heard of. And I also <laughs> kind of really want to try it. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So a Malaga cooler is um, extra heavy Mogan David, which is like this unnaturally sweet wine, basically. <laughs> um, so it's extra heavy Mogan David soda and lime juice. And if you've ever had Mogan David, you know why this is so, so horrifying. Uh, <laughs> and at one point she's like, well, it's like drinking grape juice. And he says, well, why don't you just drink grape juice? It's like, it's not sweet enough. <laughs> the grape juice isn't sweet enough <laughs> anyways it is it is, a, a, it is a great film i know that i don't know if mikey and nikki is still available on criterion channel but a new leaf is is mikey and nikki still um, on that? yes it is okay, mm -hmm. cool. yep yeah both of those are very very much worth your time and uh and supposedly elaine may is going to be making a new film that's what was announced not that long ago so that's exciting yes we shall see after uh, the flap, uh, after the um, the flop of Ishtar, I believe that uh, she hasn't made a film since when was Ishtar? Since 1987. Yeah. Yep. That's a long time. And you know what? If you watch Ishtar, it's actually a very funny film, but you have to approach it as being not serious, which it isn't. Uh, I don't People know. People have a hard Ishtar. time with that. Um, yes, I think I did years ago. I'm pretty sure it's the it's the movie I'm thinking of um, years and years ago. So I don't remember it. I would need to see it again. But yeah, it's I think it's been an unfairly maligned film, but it, it does make most uh, movies directed by women. Are. <laughs> it does make a good argument for for the whole thing that like when a woman has a flop, it, you know, she gets put in director jail since 1987. Um, when a man has a flop, you know, he's Joss Whedon. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So where where do we want to close this out? Do we want to talk about Barb and Star? Yes. <laughs> I think that we should talk about Barb and Star. Um, a film not directed by a woman, but it kind of feels like it was. Uh, featured... I mean, let's face it. Kristen and Annie basically directed themselves in that movie. I'm going to assume that they did. That like the director was basically like action and then it just went after yep. that. Um so Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which I got to see finally, and I will be writing up a Blu-ray review for the website. Uh, I mean, I loved this movie. I really did. It was so <laughs> stupid. I was like, this is so stupid, but I like, I love every single minute of the level of stupidity that I am watching at this, at this mm -hmm. moment. Oh yeah. Sorry. So no, I was gonna, so so. What are your feelings about Barb and Star, Carrie? Because you encouraged me to watch it too. I did. It, well, it's funny because everyone had you know a bunch of friends had seen it. They got like the um, screeners of it and stuff, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this movie's so great! It's just like it's this like perfect, you know, happy movie that we need right now." And blah blah blah. And I was just like, "Okay." I mean, I was already interested from the very first trailer that I saw because you put Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo in a movie, and I'm gonna want to watch it. And um, and so I've been excited for it. I was so bummed when it got bumped last year, and then when it finally hit, I sat down. It was on Valentine's Day, and I sat down to watch it, and it was not anything that i had expected i thought it was just this funny like vacation movie and it's a little bit more than that <laughs> but not really but kind of but it is i don't know and i was just like this movie is batshit and i love 
every minute of it. This is amazing. I'm so happy right now. And it was just, it was weird and it was so crazy. And it's like, some of it made absolutely no sense and it was dumb. And that is why it was just such a perfect movie. And I loved it so much. <laughs> and I seriously have watched the Edgar's prayer video like 15 times because <laughs> it makes me so happy. I love it so much. I, I I agree with you completely. I, I loved, I loved it. Um, and, and I loved the fact that, you know, watching it, I was just, I was just like, did they actually write anything or was this more like, Hey guys, we're going to go to Florida. Let's see what happens. Um, cause the, <clears throat> the interplay, Florida. <laughs> Sorry. the, the interplay between the two of them is just so funny and so endearing <laughs> see that I think one of the things that makes it so good is the fact that at no at no point do you feel like these women are being made the butt of the joke right they are very much in on the joke they're a part of the joke they're enjoying the crap out of being a part of this right mm -hmm. but this isn't like you know we're gonna mock these two people it's or these type this type of people it's more like aren't these type of people just lovely and fun and endearing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's sweet. It's funny. It's silly and it's, it's ridiculous, but it's, it's never mean. Yeah. And by the time you get to the end, you see how completely true that is, that this is not a mean movie. <laughs> no, it really isn't. And, uh, and I did, gotta give a shout out to jamie dornan who is just there and he is very much engaged <laughs> with this and i was like oh so you're not actually like this boring vanilla dude you're right. like you're like actually funny and you know you can kind of get into the ridiculousness of all of this i mean he's he's wonderful i want to see like a barb and star series of films where mm -hmm. like the the um hope and crosby road movies from the 1940s <laughs> where barb and star just go to all of these different places and like wreak havoc and jamie dornan needs to be in every single movie like, like yes. he has to be their dorothy lamore so yeah, so two things on that. So Jamie Dornan, it was funny because I, I was talking on Twitter with someone yesterday and I was just like, do I love Jamie Dornan now? And she's like, oh, I've kind of loved him since Once Upon a Time, but uh, it really has, like this movie has sealed the deal. And I was just like, he was in Once Upon a Time? Because I loved that show when it first started. And I went back and looked and I was like, holy crap, he was the huntsman. I did not remember that that was him. I never realized. And I always thought that guy was super hot and I loved him and I was sad he wasn't in it longer. <laughs> so that was Jamie Dornan. Um, so, wow, that was, that was a fun little discovery yesterday. And then the other thing is when I saw the movie, I listed some suggestions of sequels that they should make that all were like the, you know, play on the Vista Del Mar thing. So it was like, Go to Kandahar, go to Miramar, go to, this is one I actually want them to make. It was, um, go to Rock and R, which is a dude ranch in Utah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I totally, yes, right? That but would of be course perfect. The boys were like, I just want them to go wherever. I don't care where. I'm like, no, play along. <laughs> but yes, the dude ranch, I think would be so perfect. That'd be so much fun. And you could have like yes. Jamie Dornan in a cowboy hat yep. and like, and they're like, <laughs> learn how to ride horses like there's a lot of comedy Wearing to be mine from that. And, oh yeah oh yes yes it would be so great yeah well and and i feel like that this is perfectly set up because you've got these two great characters that they honestly can do pretty much they like hope and crosby they can go off and do pretty much anything and it's going to be funny just put them mm -hmm. in a situation exactly um, so yeah send them to these locales and and let them go nuts and you're going to get humor out of it period mm -hmm um yep. yeah I, I i do recommend barb and star go to vista del mar i had to convince my parents to watch this because they were like this is kind of dumb and i was like no, no no but it's got like Kristen wig and annie momolo and you know like they wrote bridesmaids together i was like oh okay like, all right yeah we'll do that like all right good we're gonna yeah i got my friends to watch it one day well like two separate groups of friends so one group um they were like what are we watching this is weird. 
we think we like it but seriously karen what are we watching and then my other friends this is when i was in utah like we're friends because we have the same humor and they were giggling and laughing so hard and like we've been texting each other quotes from barb and star for weeks now because we just have had so much fun with this movie so yeah yep <laughs> so barb and star go to vista del mar uh yes highly recommend it uh and and also um i will be writing up a full review later it's a real so tip once flapper. i get my life in order <laughs> <laughs> there's so many lines that i would i need to watch the film again because there's so many lines i want to remember um i love the fact that like andy garcia just randomly shows up uh yeah it's it's in it's the lovely. most perfect honest, role ever <laughs> yes i honestly wanted it to be longer i was like you know you can stretch this out a little bit more you could add a few things mm -hmm. like i'd be willing to go with you on that mm -hmm. <laughs> um that's why i've watched it five times <laughs> <laughs> so all right is that gonna wrap us up anything else that we wanted to, to touch on really quickly before we close things out um, I just want to tell people to stop being so mean about Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone movies. They're freaking fun. They're totally harmless. And shut up, you're oh, being yeah. rude. <laughs> it's true. You know, I was thinking about, I haven't seen, um, what's the latest one? Thunder Force. Thunder Force. Uh, which I still want to see because it's Melissa McCarthy and like Octavia, um, Octavia, Octavia Spencer. Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Um, which I don't see what's wrong with that. Um, nothing yeah, is the I, answer. I nothing is know. wrong with that. I don't know why people are so bitchy about this because ultimately, you know, at worst, these films are harmless. You know, seriously, it's not like these are causing great, great problems in the cinematic universe. Uh, and, and at best, they're fun. They're silly. These are like silly, ridiculous comedies. And I, I, I feel like we would give Melissa McCarthy a lot more of a pass if she was a dude. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of her comedy, and particularly the comedy that she does with with Falcone, is tends to be like very similar to the stuff that like Chris Farley did, or um, I, I mentioned Seth Rogen or Rodney Dangerfield, all of whom I find much more annoying than Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. So you know, if you're willing to give those dudes a pass, you really should be willing to give her a pass. Yeah. yeah. Well, Puffing. and also, yeah. yeah. Well, and also just stop saying that she is tied down by her husband's choices. It's like, no, clear. Like if you watch their Instagrams, if you just watch the way they interact together, like that is 100% a pair. They are partners and she doesn't do anything that he, she doesn't want to do just because he wants her to do it. That's not how they work. So knock it off. Yeah. Leave them alone. And obviously like they're making enough, they must be making enough money doing this because they keep on making these films. So. Exactly. This is their fifth one and getting, together and they're all great. And getting like, like good people to be in them as well. So this isn't like, yeah, I don't know. Chill exactly. out guys. Come on. Exactly. It's, it's harmless. Like, this is not hurting yeah. you. It's not going to ruin your best picture predictions for next year. Just go, go calm down. Well, and I would understand if these films were offensive at some level, or if they were like really representing terrible things. Yeah, but they're not. Like, like by the way, some of the Seth Rogen films I have seen. Exactly. Um, but they're not. They're they're just like like I say. At worst, they're harmless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally and completely. Exactly. They're just fun, and you know what? People just can't handle movies being made for middle-aged women because that's really what these movies are. <laughs> They're movies for me, and I would like to personally thank Melissa and Ben for making movies for me and no one else. <laughs> Very kind of them. So adjust all your complaints to Karen, guys, um, <laughs> and I will promptly destroy them. Yes, and we will not answer them. Nope. Um, all right, so I think that that is going to close us out for this week. And it's sort of a, a grab bag episode, but I think we had a little bit of fun. There's a little bit of a tie tie in with everything. Yeah. Um, as always, we want to thank our patrons uh, who continue to support us and keep the lights on. Thank you to Adriana, Ali, uh, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. And uh, as always, if you want to become a, a patron, we have our Patreon at patreon.com slash citizen dame. We're going to be having a new bonus episode coming out really soon. We had a Twitter poll up and I think that that's about done definitely by the time that this episode is released, that's done. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, a 
female directed film um, that had been nominated for some kind of an Oscar. Best picture? They were all nominated for best picture, but all not director. All mm -hmm. nominated for best picture. All right, I was, you phrased it on the poll better than I just did. Um, so we're gonna have that coming out. Um, we're also gonna be doing some more Patreon bonuses uh, coming up later on this month and then into May. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, thank you so much for everyone who is contributing. And if you wanna contribute, you know, please do. We're really, really grateful for it. <clears throat> we also have our Ko-Fi, that's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame, where you can just send us a few dollars if you don't feel like making the, the um, Patreon commitment. We have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. Even if you are vaccinated, you should still be wearing your mask and you can get a citizen dame mask. Woo. <clears throat> Uh, we have our website, that's citizendamepod.com, where we've got reviews. Uh, my Barb and Star review will be going up. We've got our top five. We are doing a top five again. We are, um, I promise. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we're also really tired. So we're doing our best, guys. Um, contribute more to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we can work less in other places and just do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly um but so we will have a top five coming out shortly and uh and some more reviews and fun things going up on the website you can also send us an email that's citizendamepod at gmail.com if you have any questions concerns comments etc just you know be polite uh we do our best and we also have our twitter and instagram at citizendamepod where if you really want to fight with us you can go there um and i will just not respond to you so <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, you know, like quote tweet you and call you all sorts of nasty names until you block me. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> now, actually, I think that most, you know, our responses on our Citizen Dame Pod account tend to be pretty nice. Like people are very polite and friendly and everything. And now that I said that, I'm going to go on there and be like some reply <laughs> dude. Yeah. Being like, I fucking hate Elaine May. Or she's only hot. <laughs> Dudes are stupid. Dudes are stupid. Dudes are not men. There's a difference. Yes. Yes. Dudes are retired dudes. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you can also get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. We will talk to you later. Bye. Did you see that restaurant? I'm so excited, it's almost time for dinner. And time for a cocktail? Stop! Okay, you go into the bathroom, I'll lay out a bottom on top. You know what we should wear tonight? Our evening culottes. <laughs>